Hello, everybody, and welcome to the September 8th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I'm your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, Donald Trump, in response to the Atlantic story that was published on Thursday that said that he was calling soldiers losers, decided to objectively prove that wasn't the case by just vaguely stating that he's anti-war or something. I couldn't download the clip for some reason. Clip Converter, which is what I normally use, just stopped working on me when I try to get the video through Twitter. So I'm just going to read you out the transcript provided by CNN. I'm not saying the military's in love with me. The soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably aren't because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes... Yes, big plane. And make everything else stay happy, Trump told reporters at a White House news conference. Now, a lot of people were angry about that statement. And to be honest, I kind of was too. Not because I disagree with the substance. Military profiteering is certainly an issue. Don't get me wrong. But because Donald Trump is far from immune to that himself. I covered it yesterday. He's made $12,000 a day. Every single day since he first launched his presidential campaign in 2015. You did the math on the show yesterday, if you don't believe me. And for that matter, let's talk about Donald Trump's relationship. Because this whole Trump's never started a war meme is going around in Trump-supporting areas as if that's big evidence that his foreign policy is the most successful ever. Well, let's actually look at it. He is the president that increased drone strikes by over 400%. He is a president that had civilian casualties rise significantly under him, and that's when we can get the numbers because he's also hidden the numbers from the public. You guys remember that one? He specifically made sure nobody but him could see the numbers on civilian casualties as a result of drone strikes. Um, mostly because when the Intercept managed to get some of these documents, some of these uh, numbers... They found it had increased dramatically under him. This is the same guy who has nearly brought us to war on four different occasions with four different nations. He has been threatening, he threatened regime change in North Korea, which was bad enough to the point where there were actually members of his administration telling others to get assets they have in North Korea out because there was going to be regime change there. In Syria, you guys remember that? One of his first acts of president, that was within his first hundred days, was to specifically strike Syria, drone strike Syria. This year, of course, began with him drone striking, uh, I can never, Samanoa, that was his name. He's nearly regime changed in Iran, and might I remind you, he only left the Iran deal, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, directly said this because of Israel. That's the only reason he left the Iran deal. Because Israel told him to. And for that matter, there have been several points where he has talked about regime change within Venezuela. You may have even seen the footage of Maruto actually getting, almost getting a bomb dropped on him. Seriously. That happened, and that was Donald Trump's administration that ordered that, specifically for the purposes of taking out Venezuelan President Maruto. Um, but this guy is anti-war. This is the same guy 
who made his third in command, the third in command of his administration, Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. His first choice for CIA head, might I add, ever since which was later replaced with Gina Haspel, who admits to being a Bush Cheney era neocon. And for that matter, for that matter, Pompeo is a hardcore neoconservative who has talked about regime change in Iran and removing the Iran deal and said that Edward Snowden should be executed. You guys remember that one? I do. How about, you guys remember John Bolton, who was National Security Advisor for a bit? And, of course, the current National Security Advisor, Richard O'Brien. I'm sorry, Robert O'Brien. I keep getting, I keep wanting to say Richard O'Brien, and I know that's not his name. And for those who don't know, Richard O'Brien is the creator of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Very different man. Very different man than National Security Advisor. Although, should they be? <laughs> I want to see if we can get that started. Uh, <laughs> but back to the point. Back to the point. Who is, by the way, associated with various people around John Bolton. People like Hugh Hewitt. I'm being dead serious. You guys, we covered this at the time. I covered that on Medium. When Bolton was fired, I said, guys, this is not the biggest deal you're making it out to be because John Bolton is not the problem. I mean, he's a problem, but John Bolton is not the problem. The problem is that... The man who hired John Bolton as National Security Advisor is still President of the United States. You know, go ask someone like Catelyn Johnstone, who does some of the most amazing anti-war commentary I've ever read, truth be told. Go ask her if Donald Trump is a peace president, if he's never started any wars. No, she knows that's bullshit, and she covers it way more than any of us. Go ask the Intercept people. Go ask the people at the Intercept, the people who have leaked things like the Pentagon Papers and the original uh, Snowden files. Was it? Yeah, it was Snowden. I mean, really, this idea that Donald Trump is some hardcore anti-war president because he said war profiteering exists, that doesn't mean anything. He's still beholden to the war profiteers. Seriously, ask yourself, who has taken his side in war and foreign policy? Liz Cheney and Lindsey Graham or Rand Paul? Okay, because Rand Paul's the great non-interventionist in the Senate right now. And the two biggest neoconservatives is, well, Liz Cheney is still kind of a rising star. But the biggest neoconservative in the Senate right now is Lindsey Graham, especially after John McCain died. Now tell me, who does Donald Trump side with more in terms of foreign policy? Who praises Trump's foreign policy more often? Liz Cheney and Lindsey Graham, or Rand Paul? I'm seriously asking you. The answer is the neoconservatives, because Trump, while he is not an unapologetic neoconservative, like someone like George W. Bush or Dick Cheney, he is at the very least, at the very least, he is much more friendly to the neoconservatives than he is to the non-interventionists. And, you know, it's funny, because I see people comparing this to Eisenhower, calling out the military-industrial complex, when Eisenhower was one of the strictest enforcers of the Truman Doctrine. He was the man who did coup d'etats in Iran and Guatemala. Guatemala, by the way, is the one that introduced the phrase Banana Republic into our vocabulary. 
I'm serious. We did a coup there for the benefits of fruit companies, and that guy's going to tell us about the military-industrial complex. I mean, it's just, honest to God, amazing. Anyway, uh, Vice Presidential Candidate Kamala Harris recently met with Jacob Blake's family. And mind you, mind you, I want to make it clear, Jacob Blake is not dead at this current moment. He was shot seven times and was horribly injured, but he's not dead. And the only reason I mention that is because somebody's going to mention, you know, Jacob Blake's not dead, as if the message wasn't made clear when you shoot someone seven straight times. You know, that that's kind of making the message really clear. I know this is a bit of a side thing, but that argument annoys me. There was a holocaust? How come there were survivors? Like, it's on that level of argumentation. Anyway, Kamala Harris met with the family of Jacob Blake recently. And I thought I'd bring this up because there have been a lot of accusations ever since the Biden-Harris campaign very publicly condemned the shooting, not death, gotta make that distinction, shooting of Jacob Blake in the back seven times. Um, that they just don't care about women. And I addressed these accusations in an article I wrote a little bit ago called Jacob Blake was a bad guy, so what? I'll link it in the info box. However, essentially, for those who don't know what happened, Jacob Blake had an arrest warrant out for him because he had uh, allegedly, and I have to stress allegedly, because none of this was proven in a court of law, um, because they have uh, he allegedly had raped and sexually assaulted her. The exact wording of what he did varies from source to source, but every source that covered it agreed that it's at the very least sexual assault, which is really bad, okay? Jacob Blake was a really bad dude. Now, I should note, and again, I'm only making this point because we spent the past several years hearing this point, three years at least, since the Me Too movement started, in fact, that, oh my god, all you need now is an, well, actually, that point's been going around for longer, but oh my god, all you need now is an accusation, and it ruins the man's life. You know, I cannot think of a better personification of your life being ruined than getting shot in the back seven times. I really can't. And that's what people who are justifying the shooting of Jacob Blake through this charge are really telling us. They're telling us, oh my god, all those years they spent talking about innocent until proven guilty and how the big issue with Me Too is now all a woman needs to do is say, you're raping me at this very moment, and you'll immediately get the death sentence. Oh, oh wait, someone did get an attempted, attempted death sentence as a result of these rape accusations. Now, am I saying the woman was lying when she said Jacob Blake raped her or abused her or assaulted her? No, I don't know that. It is perfectly possible she was lying, okay? That is a theoretical possibility. It's also completely possible that she wasn't, that everything she said was true, and that Jacob Blake's a horrible person. However, the punishment for rape is still not death penalty, first off. And second off, oh, I'm sorry, the attempted death penalty. And, and second off, even if it was... 
That's not up for cops to decide. That's up for a jury to decide. It's up, that's why we have trials. Okay, this was a mere accusation that led to Jacob Blake getting shot in the back seven times. And, again, even if this did happen, that does not mean that he deserved to get shot in the back seven times, and that's completely ignoring the very real possibility that he's completely innocent. Seriously, that is genuinely possible. Hey, it happens every now and again. It really does. It really does. There's that number a lot of people like to throw out. That 2 to 8% of rape cases are false. It's actually much higher than that. It's 2 to 8% are objectively proven to be false. There are a lot of times where there's just not enough evidence. Uh, but it's possible Jacob Blake was in that 2 to 8%. Uh, seriously, it's possible. It is honest to God possible. But I spent all that time because people are calling Kamala Harris now a total hypocrite for meeting with the family of Jacob Blake. I mean, can you imagine uh, what she would say to a Republican who did that? But we don't need to imagine she specifically voted against Kavanaugh because of the sexual assault allegation. And this completely makes her a hypocrite, apparently. Of course, I notice two key differences between. Brett Kavanaugh and Jacob Blake. First off, Brett Kavanaugh was not shot in the back seven times. Okay? And second off, Jacob Blake was not nominated to be a Supreme Court Justice. There is a middle ground between does not deserve to be a Supreme Court Justice and deserves to get shot in the back seven times. Okay? Uh, for instance, for instance, I do not personally believe that, I don't know, Doug Napel, the guy who made Earthworm Jim, he shouldn't be a Supreme Court justice. Nothing against Earthworm Jim. doesn't strike me as a guy who would be good for Supreme Court justice. Okay? With that said, if someone shot him in the back seven times, I would still go, why did you shoot Doug Napel in the back seven times? And if he responds with, because he wasn't fit to be a Supreme Court justice, I'd respond with, well, wait a minute, that that doesn't make any sense. There's a middle ground that exists. All Sandra Harris is doing is acknowledging that middle ground. Now, if she then tried to appoint Jacob Blake, as a Supreme Court Justice, then, okay, you know what? That would be hypocritical of her. However, we're comparing two widely different situations. The fact is, if Brett Kavanaugh's sexual assault allegation, worst-case scenario, he would still be a circuit judge, and he just wouldn't be one of the nine most powerful people in this country. Okay? He would not be on the Supreme Court. If it turns out he is innocent, well, that sucks, but he joins the 330 million Americans who are not on the Supreme Court. If Jacob Blake turns out to be innocent, then a man was shot in the back seven times for no reason. I really think... There is a very noticeable difference here, is the only point I'm making.
Anyway, to end this off tonight, populist left Twitter was mad, and when populist leftists are mad, you know something good is happening. Uh, Politico <laughs> tweeted out this, black Democrats are urging, notice it's black Democrats, by the way. Okay, this is not a plot by whitey to keep black people, that no, this is black people doing this. Uh, black Democrats are urging Joe Biden to resist growing pressure from the left, that that left is, of course, primarily white. But don't worry, they understand social justice. They understand uh, social justice and how to improve black communities. Just don't talk to any of them, because they're dirty, so who cares? Uh, to impose an anti-Wall Street purity test on his hiring decision, if elected, warning that it threatens the party's desire to boost diversity in powerful executive branch posts. So, this was part of a Politico article. This was a tweet out for the Politico article called Purity Test Democrats Clash Over Biden Diversity Goals. Um, and essentially, the point that was being made here is that black Democrats do not actually care one way or the other about Wall Street or about any of the issues the populist left keeps raging on about. Uh, Bernie Sanders was extremely unpopular with black voters. Joe Biden wasn't. You guys remember, it was minorities that bailed out Joe Biden's campaign in South Carolina. Okay, we all thought Biden was done. I thought Biden was done. Just before Super Tuesday, the last state was South Carolina. He got a massive amount of the minority vote. And as such, that basically boosted him to a viable candidate, and then he won most of Super Tuesday. Then he won most of Super Tuesday. Biden has only succeeded because of minorities. He has the finger on the pulse of what minorities actually want. And the populists cannot stand that. Now, I'm not saying they're racist. Saying they have a vision of themselves, however, that's just purely inaccurate. And now let's actually take a second to read a little bit more of this article. Progressives have been calling on Joe Biden to take a hard line in filing out his cabinet with groups such as Justice Democrats, which, by the way, was created by uh, the Young Turks, and specifically Kyle Kalinske and Cenk Uger. Cenk Uger is the man who didn't even let his employees unionize until he was called out for being a massive hypocrite. And Sunrise Movement demanded that he pledged to appoint zero current or former Wall Street executives or corporate lobbyists to his administration. And then meanwhile... Uh, but black Democrats on Capitol Hill and on K Street say that's in direct conflict with the party's overarching diversity goals and would keep many people of color, including those with touch to the financial world, or those who have managed to lift themselves up out of poverty, despite incredible odds against them. The people who are held up as American success stories are, are held up as the few that would, under any other scenario, be considered heroes to every white progressive in this nation. Sorry, sorry, you don't want Biden to completely ban the concept of stocks. You're a neoliberal now. And would keep many, yeah, I already read that, from ascending to key positions long dominated by white males. Now, I don't like, 
identity politics. I really don't. I want to make this clear. I only bring up identity politics in this scenario, however, because many of these same progressives recently spent a large amount of time talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and how important that was to him. And yeah, I or to them. Yeah, you know what? I was on the side of BLM quite a bit. Uh, there were tons of cases where I weren't, but you know what? I did side with them more often than I didn't. However, at the same time, I never sat there with a stash, Peter Griffin style, declaring myself the king of the black people. And then, all of a sudden say, sorry, black Democrats who aren't tried-and-true Roosevelt progressives, do you know what Roosevelt progressive means to a minority? It means appointing a Klansman to the Supreme Court. It means locking up Native Americans in internment camps. Okay, that, that's what it means. I'm sorry. And these same people, these same people, who might I add, talk consistently about how America has a history of institutionalized racism, and we're still institutionally racist today, they're sitting there, staring, going, why don't black people want the Democratic Party to return to what they were in the 1930s? I wonder why. I seriously wonder why. I can't figure it out for the life of me. To end with, I just want to say to all of the obnoxious progressives uh, who have never talked to a minority in their life, who are saying, well, Joe Biden is... The ultimate race side note. And we covered the studies on this show, by the way. More white Democrats say they feel uncomfortable with voting for Joe Biden because he's white than minorities do. And the number's like two to one. It's a lot more. Okay? I think it's like 30% of Democrats, of registered Democrats, said they felt uncomfortable voting for another white guy. White Democrats did versus like 15% of black Democrats. Uh, and to all you white progressives who were absolutely bawling over John Lewis's death, and you know what? That's fair. He is a progressive icon. I understand why you did that. And loved Barack Obama's speech advocating for civil rights legislation and all of that. I, I figured I should inform you something. You guys ready? John Lewis endorsed Joe Biden. Oh, no. <laughs> That's our show. Good night.